0: Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: To innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf and Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create sustainable business and strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. Welcome to Cynthia Cherry, who is the President and CEO of the International Leadership Association. We are broadcasting live from Brussels at the annual Leadership Conference. Thank you, Maureen, for being here with us here in Brussels. I'm so excited about the series of keynote speakers that we are able to present and that will give a timeless message around our topic and theme of Leadership in Turbulent Times. And I'm very pleased with our conference chair, Jort Volkers from Deloitte University, the Dean of Deloitte University and his team who helped us along with the ILA staff to present this global conference in Brussels, Belgium in 2017. Delighted that today our guest is John Heiser. He's the president and CEO of Magnatrol International Incorporated. Magnetrol is a global leader in the development and manufacture of level and flow process control instrumentation. John began his career as an attorney in private practice before transitioning into business where he held numerous leadership positions in legal, government affairs, sales and marketing. He earned his B.A. in political science and sociology from the University of Iowa, J.D. from Tulane, M.B.A. from Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern, and his Ph.D. from Benedictine University's Center for Values Driven Leadership. His primary area of focus include ethical leadership, and its impact on driving corporate social responsibility and organizational change, leadership ethics, and leadership development. So the outcome of this segment is John and I are going to talk about business as a social institution. We can maximize the value of a firm and at the same time create value for society. How is shareholder value maximization aligned with or in conflict with social good? And John and I are gonna make the the assertion and back it up with data. Yeah. That, absolutely. <laughs> that they are actually aligned and not in conflict. Or they can be When leadership and governance are aligned properly. Perfect. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm so happy you're here.
2: (laughs) I am too. Um,
1: So let's jump right in. Do you want to give us any more about your background?
2: No, I think you did a great job of summarizing it. So uh, I'll talk a little bit maybe just about what Magnetrol is and and what we do just to kind of set that context because I think that's important when we get into the discussion we're going to have today. I always like to Tell people that what, when I describe what we do, it's the quickest way to kill a conversation at a okay. cocktail party. <laughs> we manufacture and, uh, and develop level and flow process control instrumentation. And really what that is, is sophisticated equipment that goes into industries like refining chemical power. Uh, if you think about big tanks, um, big vessels, we measure the level and then set off some kind of process. So that just gives you a context of what we do. We're family-owned, started out, it was a uh, single mom, started at the company as a part-time bookkeeper, worked her way up, bought the company in 1978 and really was, uh, drove us on the path of growth. We're now in the second generation of ownership. I'm the first non-family president of the organization, okay. so it kind of gives you a context. So then when we th- start talking about business as a social institution.
1: Um... What's the revenue, approximate
2: size? We're about 150 million uh, in revenue, so we're a true middle market uh, company. We compete in a very competitive marketplace with companies 10 times our size uh, in the billions of dollars. And so it just gives you a sense of why, when we talk about business as a social institution, why that's important uh, for us from Mm -hmm. a strategic as well as a uh, value proposition for the organization.
1: And what's always interesting to me is companies who can act socially responsibly Mm -hmm. and make a profit. Yeah. So I realize that our stock structure may not be always favorable toward that, but I've interviewed other CEOs also who are incredibly socially responsible and they deliver very profitable revenue to the stakeholders.
2: Right. You know, it's it's a great point and, uh, you know, we talked about it when you set it up that our definition of, of business as a social institution really says we need to lean into this paradox of value creation. Uh-huh. So can you be social responsible and not just have that be an expense to the organization, but actually a profit driver so that you maximize value for the firm while simultaneously creating value for society? And at MagnaTrol and some other companies that I've worked with, that was a core value of the organization, this understanding that it, this paradox, if you lean into it, you can create value for both. So at Magnatrol, we've done that in, in three respects. Okay. And we talk about it in terms of community. So in our view, we look at this in terms of three communities. The community, which is Magnatrol, which is okay. our core stakeholders, our employees, our shareholder owners, uh, and our, our key customers, key vendors, and whatnot. The second community is the communities in which we live, work, and operate. And so Uh we look at it in terms of that. The third community is the global community in which our products go out and serve. And so we look at value creation in each one of those. Okay. So if we start with the community that's Magnetrol, we have a strong belief in our employee base. And we feel that the biggest asset, the biggest driver of growth and sustainability as an organization are our employees. And so if we can manage that and create value within that, to us, that's a great opportunity to create value. How do we do that? Well, we've uh, instituted a number of positive organizational interventions, appreciative inquiry. Rather than being a top-down approach in terms of strategy, in terms of problem solving, it's an opportunity to go really bottoms up. So we take any issue that we have from strategy setting to creating new opportunities to, to serve markets in which we serve. We look at it from when we're at our best, what does that look like? And we actually get input from across the organization, all levels of employees. And we bring them together and we talk about it and then set strategy.
1: I love the idea that you're starting with when we're at our best rather than what do we fix up from our worst. Right.
2: Yeah, and that's a great, you know, Maureen, that's a great point because when you think about problem solving, particularly in an engineering company like us, it's root cause analysis, Mm -hmm. which drives you down this path of negativity. Right, And you usually get hung up on everything that's wrong and how do you solve it. Appreciative inquiry flips that mm-hmm. discourse and says, you know what, let's take problem solving from a strength-based approach. When we're at our best, what does that look like and how do we leverage that to move us forward? And so what happens is it drives creativity and it, it gets people into a more collaborative sense because it's not a blame discussion it's not a it's not a negative thing it's really going back to let's build on on what makes us great
1: now i want to ask the question though because i assume we have listeners who will be skeptical and <laughs> say but i still have to deal with the problems right. appreciative inquiry doesn't exclude navigating problems right uh, or challenges no weaknesses. not at
2: all in fact in fact we actually used appreciative inquiry we were f- finding that it was taking us too long to bring new products to market. A big problem, right? Particularly in a company that needs to compete Mm -hmm. uh, in an innovative space. We were just taking too long. So we used appreciative inquiry to say, okay, how do we get back to doing what we do well, which was bringing products to market faster? And so we got the key stakeholders, and that's Mm -hmm. the other point of this. You have to bring in all of your critical stakeholders into the conversation.
1: So it's a bottom-up and top-down. Exactly. Down. It's not an either-or. And
2: not only is it a bottom-up, top-down, it's also a broad uh, okay. perspective because you have to bring in critical stakeholders even that, that are impacted in some way or help with the issue that you're addressing. Because if you leave out key stakeholders, you're not going to get that voice coming in to how, mm-hmm. do we, how do we move forward. So
1: those would be supply chain partners, absolutely. customers? In
2: certain cases, absolutely, you can bring okay. in the customers. Vendors are clearly important. Okay. Uh, or if you have development partners, you need to bring them mm-hmm. into that dialogue. And then what Appreciative Career allows you to do is to start off with a dialogue about what does it look like when we're at our best? When mm-hmm. we've done this and it's been successful, what was the, the core to that? And then once the beauty of appreciative inquiry is you don't just stop there. And this is where I think it, it takes care of the skeptics. Yeah. You actually get to a design portion where you actually say, okay, let's build on that strength. So let's look at the opportunities based on what's called the positive core. And let's set those opportunities out. Again, it's a very generative process. Mm-hmm. So you're because you're in this creative mode you're getting new thought processes to come in
1: so our brains actually yes this it, is one of the other interviews we did recently was talking about the physiology of how we change yes what what is chemically happening in our body when we feel under siege versus exactly in this generative place
2: exactly and so what happens is then you create this opportunity map you vote as a collective group on what's the most critical of the opportunities okay. and then you actually put a plan in place with commitments on how you're going to move forward okay. and so it really does set up a nice framework. I'll give you a great example of how this has worked with an employee that we had. We actually did an Appreciative Inquiry Summit around our business model. I felt that oh, we had, yeah, okay. I had I felt we'd lost our way uh, okay. as an organization in terms of how are we going to compete effectively. So we did a global summit, actually we, we did uh, three. Uh, summits at all of our global locations. Again, and we we had all the stakeholders in there. And if I had an employee in one of the summits who just was in a very negative mood, and she just mm-hmm. couldn't say anything positive, even though the question, first thing is, when we're at our best in terms of satisfying customers or whatever, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And I pulled her aside and said, you know, you seem to be struggling with, uh, mm-hmm. with this process. And she said to me, you know, John, I just got a lot of things going on. I have a friend who's got cancer and I've just, you know, there's just a lot going on in my life that I'm just not positive about. And I said to her, you know what, why don't you just take today and put Mm -hmm. that aside and just, just come in with, you know, just think positive for one day and see how that goes, Mm -hmm. you know, and let's just try it. And she said, okay, I'll try. Well, I went back into that room an hour later. Mm -hmm. She was one of the most engaged employees Wow. in the whole summit part of appreciative inquiry is that you do skits to kind of demonstrate mm-hmm. what you're trying to do positive core and she was the most engaged <laughs> participant in the skit but here's the beauty maureen following this summit she came to me and talked to me about the process and how yeah. engaged she was subsequent to that and i'm talking months mm-hmm. after the summit She's become one of my biggest change agents in the organization. And she's from our factory, okay? She's a factory. This
1: is a brilliant <laughs> thing for listeners to yeah. think about because not many listeners, I'm sure, get right. the importance of engaging all stakeholders. Right. But sometimes we get skeptical because so we also have some employees in our factory right. that are...
2: Well, think about this. This is a person who works on one of our lines mm-hmm. in our factory who we're saying help us create our strategy mm-hmm. for our business model. Think about that. So I've got her in this process. So she's now, and I've heard this from her and others about her, that she goes around saying, look, we're on the right path. You have to give mm-hmm. these guys a chance. And, the, you know, folks at, at the top, a chance. They're trying. They're encouraging us. And whenever that negativity starts in the dialogue within that factory, she's one of the first ones to raise her hand and say, hey, listen to what we're talking about. Listen to what we're talking about And so you can see where that change can bubble up based on on something like an appreciative inquiry process.
1: Well, and how important it is, too, the engagement gives you the space with your employees to build the trust and the time to implement a change. Because it sounds like you made a change in direction.
2: We did. Uh, Well, and it was... Not necessarily a change in direction. It was, it was more an opportunity to refocus, Okay. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. The, the other thing about appreciative inquiry that I love is if you think about the business case for it, mm-hmm. think about alignment. Think about the fact that now I've engaged people at all levels of the organization, cross-functionally, the key stakeholders. When we start talking now about implementing that strategic plan... I've got alignment now across the organization. And so that's half the battle in terms of of strategy, right, is driving alignment and getting commitment
1: around that. Especially commitment. Yes. Because it's one thing to say I'm aligned, it's in my best interest. But am I really going to, when I show up every day, do what you need me to do on the days that I feel bad?
2: Exactly. And think about this. Most of the time when we set strategy, it comes from the top down. And how many times have we heard, Well, if they would have just asked me, I could have told them it wasn't going to work, right? How many times do we hear that? that. How many times do we hear that? We're naive to think that that's not true. And so what appreciative inquiry allows us to do is to circumvent that and and really stop that alignment uh, issue. So that now people say, I was part of creating that strategy. Mm -hmm. My voice was heard. So now I can get behind it.
1: And so we're going to go to break momentarily. But the thing that strikes me again because I hear either or yes in conversations when you include your team, your your mm-hmm. vendors, your partners and in some cases your customers, it doesn't mean the leadership team is off the hook. No. I don't have to do any silly thing because I came up. (laughs) Okay, so when we come back after break, I want to address that because I I am imagining some people I know who are hearing nails on chalkboard.
2: Absolutely.
1: I tried that; it didn't work. We almost lost our business. Yep. And you have the look that says, "Of course, that's ridiculous." Yes, there's a balance. There absolutely is integrating. Yep that allows us to look at both. Yes. So we will be back momentarily. This is Maureen Metcalf and John Heiser from Magnatrol, talking about leadership and kind of the both and style that creates more engaged employees, better public good, and more profitability.
0: Yeah.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. visit metcalf-associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com today. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving, Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back here talking to Maureen Metcalf and John Heiser. And before the break, we talked about strategy and the idea that, that MagnaTrol is using appreciative inquiry and that doesn't mean that leaders abdicate hmm. their role in setting strategy.
2: No, and I'll, I'll give you a great example of that, actually too. There's no question that at the end of the day, the leaders have to be able to not only, uh, because if you think about leaders, particularly at the C-suite, we have a better view of the whole global enterprise, right? So we're not just concerned about our functional area or my day-to-day job at the c-suite level we understand how that all fits into the global stakeholders and so we've got to make sure that as we develop the strategy with everybody involved that we keep it at a more enterprise level Uh so that's number one number two the appreciative inquiry process at the end of the day my role in this is when we come together in that design phase is that i help guide that process i say look Here's what we absolutely can do because it it fits with who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. And here's the budgets that we have for those. Here's the things that, quite frankly, we just can't do for whatever reason. And here's the things and how we're going to phase it. And so at the end of the day, the leadership team still has to drive that corporate or global alignment of the strategy that's being formulated. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we still have the accountability and the responsibility to make sure that as we start to implement these plans, Mm -hmm. we're looking at how it is impacting uh, value creation, both for the firm Mm -hmm. and for those communities in which we live, work, and operate. And so it's not an abdication at all. I view it more as an alignment. (laughs) Great.
1: So so I hear input from everyone. Synthesize, integrate, Ensure that you have the global view, and then there's some filtering back so that people who gave input can see where their input was accepted and where it was modified.
2: And it's actually done as part of the summit and then subsequent. So they can, you know, again, it's part of being a transparent organization, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so as we develop the strategy, we're there saying, okay, here's, I wish you could see some pictures of, of some of the summits we've done. I'm there in my role and saying, okay, here's where we can go forward. Here's where Mm -hmm. we're aligned. And if you think about it, I've done these in three different locations. I have to look at are they aligned from an organizational structure based Mm -hmm. on the the locations. And so we do that. Then we do go back to them and say, okay, here's what you all told us. Here's what we're going to do. Now we're going to hold each other accountable to, to actually doing what we've all agreed that we're going to go do.
1: Or refine it as or we Or refine
2: get more data. it as we, as we get more data, absolutely. And the key then is just the follow-up, right? Uh, the feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And so as long as we keep that consistent, which is the other thing we've done at, at MagnaTrol, which is a framework called Giving Voice to Values, so that as we do this, it's sort of a speak-up organization where okay. we allow conversations to take place to say, hey, I think that's aligned from both ends, right? Mm-hmm. From leadership down and employee base up. So that we can have a conversation where we think we're off base on something, including coming from me to say, you know what, this piece of that strategy is not working. Here's why. Here's how we're going to adjust it.
1: And I assume, again, the theme of the conference is living in turbulent times. The idea that we do strategic planning (laughs) is still required but we hold it a little more loosely than what you're we We have
2: to, right? Because it's a dynamic world in which we mm-hmm. live in. Things are happening on the geopolitical front. Things happen in terms of just our customer base and actually quite frankly things can happen on a regional basis with key customers that it can impact our strategy, can impact our business. And so we have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to have an organization that's able to do that by creating a positive and this is key. By creating a positive cultural environment, a values-driven performance-oriented culture, you can handle that flexibility better. Um, You have an organization that can have the conversations to move quickly when you're faced with adversity or with a change in plan. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think these kinds of things help.
1: My assumption is through processes like this, appreciative inquiry and the planning process, that you've created trust throughout the organization... And the transparency to say, you're not doing what you
2: said. Right. Well, let's talk about what's going on. What changed and why. Right. And trust becomes a a critical issue. In fact, I brought a a number of people to Magnetrol. We're here at the ILA. And I brought a number of people to Magnetrol, our European operations here in Belgium. And I had a panel of employees because Mm -hmm. I said, look, you can listen to me, but let's hear what our employees have to say. And this panel of employees got asked the question, look, you're a manufacturing company. How do you motivate yourself? (laughs) every day to come to work and do what Mm -hmm, you do. mm -hmm. And one of the employees said, we're motivated because we motivate each other. We come into a place that's solutions oriented. Mm -hmm. This is her words. Okay, We come into a place that's solutions oriented and so we can motivate each other to solve problems. And because we spend so much time at work and because we've moved to a more positive culture, that's motivational in and of itself. So when we get faced with issues, we can handle them appropriately, we can handle them quickly, and we can handle them in a positive way. That was her response, not mine. So for me, it was great to hear uh, <laughs> that, that we had that viewpoint. But uh, but I think that's an example of what I'm talking about mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, leaders set strategy, leaders drive culture. I mean, if you think about my job, I'm the, the ambassador of culture alignment, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. what I do.
1: It's interesting because CEOs are now starting to say this, yeah. and before that, would, nobody would have said right. that.
2: There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal. I think it was last week regarding boards of directors and mm-hmm. how they're now looking at creating committees on boards or just in general boards paying much more attention to culture. Because as we've seen in some recent cases, having a negative culture, having a, a culture that can be problematic, can drive bad outcomes. And so I Wells think. Wells
1: Fargo.
2: Yeah, a great is is the best example, right? And I think this is where that discussion came out of, but it it was on the fact that what is the board obligation in looking at culture? And this is a new phenomenon out there. I I do some
1: (laughs) board work, and culture is not often mentioned. No,
2: and and I think that's going to start to change. At we we understand the value of culture because we've seen it work both ways, where we got a little stagnant as an organization. Mm -hmm. We've now really gone into this change mode of being a more positive organization, which we're seeing, which, again, is creating value which then brings me to that next community Thank that I you. wanted to talk so, yeah. about. Yeah. So let's transition uh, yeah.
1: into the outcome we said for the interview. Right. Is talking about... Business
2: is a social institution, right? And that means we have to be engaged corporate citizens in the communities in which we live, work, and operate. For us, for me, it's about aligning... This is why I talk about leaning into the paradox of value creation. Mm-hmm. It's aligning corporate social responsibility, societal value, with the strategic value of the firm so that you can truly maximize profit, which is, a you know, something that businesses need to think about, obviously, mm-hmm. but also create real value for society. And I'll give you a great example that we're doing at Magnetrol. Again, we're a manufacturing company. We also are, are an engineering company. We have roles at Magnetrol that are very rote, that mm-hmm. you come in and do the same thing every single day. And some of those jobs are quite boring, whether they're administrative or in our factory. And what happens is we get high turnover in those roles. That's a pretty significant cost Mm -hmm. to us as an organization, so that takes away from profit. The -hmm. other issue that happens in those roles is you get mistakes. And in our Mm -hmm. business...
1: Because you get bored?
2: You get bored. You get just kind of... You know, if you think about it, you're just looking at the same thing every day or doing the same job every day. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get distracted, and you can lose your focus, which can cause mistakes. Those mistakes can be extremely costly as well in terms of rework, on our product that we have to do, or if a mistake gets made and we build something that the customer didn't ask for, obviously there can be significant costs associated with that. So as we were looking at this and seeing the impact that it can have on that profit maximization formula, we started to really say, how can we address this as an organization? And this is where it goes right to what business as a social institution is about. I found a, uh, a partner in the Chicagoland area, so we're doing this just in the U.S. right now because we're just getting off the ground on this, but I found an organization that deals with uh, cognitively disabled individuals, so okay. people on the autism spectrum. Now if you think about a lot of individuals that fall on, I like to call it the pallet, because if you think about it, yeah. we all are on the pallet, right? It's yeah, just some of us are, <laughs> some of us are in different spots, right? But if you think about some of those individuals, they want structure. They need structure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They want to do the same thing every single day, and they're fabulous at it. They're motivated behind it. They can pay attention to details like you and I can't. And so we're partnering with this organization for those individuals. Now, in many cases, they can't get a job because of their social awkwardness. They can't get through a job interview. Mm -hmm. Or they get flustered if things change a little bit. We've said to this organization, look, we want to partner with you. We think we have jobs at Uh Magnetrol that can create real value for us. So these are individuals we're gonna be bringing into the organization, are bringing into the organization. We're gonna pay them the same rate we pay everybody else. We're gonna give them the same benefits we give everybody else. And the value they're gonna provide us is, one, we're not gonna see the turnover because they're gonna be happy in these roles. They're gonna be able to do the same thing every day. They're going to create value from us because not only we're we going to have lack of turnover, but the mistake level is going to go down and does go down pretty significantly. So you can see where it helps with that equation mm-hmm. of profit mm-hmm. maximization. But think about this, Maureen. We're now creating true value for society because we're taking individuals who can't get out there and work, and be contributing, tax-paying members of society that want to create value in their lives
1: and live independently and, and exactly, and, function, and like we're us. giving them that
2: opportunity. And to me, that's where aligning social value with the strategic value proposition of the firm works. Mm -hmm. And or but, (laughs) you have to have a culture that's willing to do that. And the beauty of Magnetrol is we have that kind of culture. Mm -hmm. We're very receptive to working in these environments. Now, part of this process is we're doing a lot of training around it. How do you manage people on the autism spectrum? How do you handle situations that may come up? And so we're doing significant amount of training to make sure that our supervisors and our employees understand uh, how to manage those situations and to keep things well. That
1: seems really important that is. you're not just throwing people into a situation that will then... Again, cause the, right. the finger pointing to say, yeah, this didn't work. Exactly. We know we didn't want those. Whoever right. that those is. And,
2: and I think that's critical. And, and if you're going to do this, you need to do it right. And so for us, it just made sense to do it that way. So we're having them come in, evaluate positions for us to mm-hmm. make sure that we're doing it right. Good. And then we're going to do the training. Another example that I will give you that we're, we're getting off the ground is that we have positions in our factory, machinists, mm-hmm. welders, critical to our business. Yeah. But unfortunately in the U.S., a lot of those jobs have been offshored. Now, we still manufacture mm. in the U.S. We manufacture. No, no, no. Or- our biggest manufacturing facility is in the U.S. We manufacture a lot here in Belgium, which okay. is our handles our European mm-hmm. operations. We have a manufacturing plant in Dubai and one in Shanghai, China.
0: Okay. So
2: we're, we're global manufacturing, but our biggest facility is in the U.S., now a lot of those jobs have been offshore, or they've gone to what we call the oil patch, where they're making you know triple the wages that we can pay mm-hmm. uh, in in the Dakotas and down in, in the oh. Gulf Coast of Texas. Unfortunately for us as well, the technical schools have dropped these programs. Mm-hmm. So you know resources where we could go if we had yeah. a vacancy to get skilled individuals have gone. So we decided uh, again back to this idea of how do we maximize profit because if we end up having a vacancy with a welder or machinist that impacts our manufacturing process pretty significantly
1: yeah because you're not (laughs) not
2: producing right so as efficiently and effectively Uh as we can right and these are positions that are now very hard to fill so they're critical hard to fill so one is we got to keep those folks employed (laughs) (laughs) but you know we have folks every now and then that just leave for whatever reason so we decided where we're located we have a number of high schools in our area and some that are in very diverse communities Uh, and so we said look we know that uh, a number of high school kids aren't going to be on the university track they're not going to be on the university track so we've we're we're going into these schools saying look we want to take kids that are at we're calling them at risk they're not on the college track when they come out of high school they're not going to have a job and then when they don't have a job we know Mm -hmm. what happens we want to do an internship program at MagnaTrol where we're bringing these kids in in their junior year Uh, Helping them with their studies, but also doing an apprentice program in our machine shop and our weld shop. When they graduate, if we have a vacancy, we now have a pipeline of folks that we have trained and and can kind of come in and and fill that role. The value is they can make a great wage. Uh, Machinists and welders make a terrific wage. If we don't have a vacancy, we've now trained these individuals to go out into the community and get a job at a high paying wage. And so you can see again, maximize profit for the organization, create value for society. So if we do align the two to the strategic value of the firm, you can lean into that paradox of value creation and actually create value for the firm, real value, and also create value for society.
1: I love that idea. In both examples, you're creating value through creating opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's not a handout, no. any of that stuff. it's not
2: an expense to the organization where we're just, you know, and we still do things like that, but it's, it's actually, you're right, it's creating opportunity that we can tap into as well as society can tap into.
1: And individuals who wouldn't have had right. productive work yeah. in both cases now have an opportunity yeah. to live a life that was unimaginable right. before. Right, right. So we will go on break. We will be right back with Maureen Metcalf and John Heiser.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today.
1: Uh, John is the CEO of Magnatrol, and we're talking about a range of leadership topics. Let's now talk about purpose. Sure. And the idea you, you said during break that you're not curing cancer,
3: right? And yeah. yet.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so how do you create a purpose for the firm, right? We've defined purpose, or we've called it down to one term, and that's flourishing. Okay. And we look at it in terms of our purpose as an organization. If you if you narrow it down to that term, flourishing, again, we talk about these communities we view that as flourishing as the community that's Magnetrol, that's who we are. Uh How do we help our employees flourish? How do we flourish for our owners and stakeholders? The second is that idea of the communities in which we live, work, and operate. And we talked a little bit Uh about how we help the society and Magnetrol flourish in that sense. The third, and this is where I think for a manufacturing company, an engineering and manufacturing company, you start to make process control instrumentation. How do you define a purpose? In the global setting that can motivate your employees behind that, because we're talking corporate purpose. So
1: I feel good when I come yes, to work. Yes, exactly.
2: We've defined that in terms of helping the our customers and the stakeholders that they impact to flourish. And I'll give you a couple of examples. We deal in uh, industries like oil and gas, petrochemical, chemical, power. Let's take power as an example. Our equipment, it does two things uh, for those customers. And again, we're just a small vendor and a very big customer Mm -hmm. that has a huge refining plant, or in this case, let's say a power plant. We do two things. The first thing is our instruments act as safety devices. So if you think about level in a tank or a vessel, a lot of times those are pretty dirty or caustic chemicals that we're dealing with.
1: So gas, oil. Yeah,
2: things like that. It, It can be in a power plant as well. Our instrumentation makes sure that one, you don't get into an overflow situation so that you're causing environmental spills, mm-hmm. or that level's getting too low, which could set off an explosion or something like that. So we're dealing with that can Obviously, cause significant damage. That
1: lives. So, it, yeah, absolutely. Up absolutely, is not
2: good. <laughs> so, it, when you bring that back to the purpose of the organization, we're manufacturing safety devices that have a significant potential impact on the environment or the safety of individuals in the plant and, and near the mm-hmm. plant. And so, that responsibility, that idea of integrity, can really generate a lot of motivation about what we do matters, and we need to make sure we're doing it correctly and that every instrument that we put out, we have the confidence that will will do what we say it will do. So that's purpose. The other piece of that is if you think about a power plant, our instruments also allow those plants to work more productively and, and more efficiently. So again, when you think about purpose in the bigger society, if a power plant can operate more efficiently, that reduces their costs. If they reduce their costs, maybe they can take some of that money and bring it back into the plant to help with environmental Things, to make the mm-hmm. plant run okay. cleaner. The other thing it can do, Maureen, is it can say, look, if we can now uh, manufacture power more effectively, more efficiently, maybe now we can offer power at a rate that can allow more people to get electricity <laughs> in areas that we couldn't before. And so while that's a big statement, um, uh-huh. when we bring that back to our space, if our instruments can help that, If we as an organization can help with that dialogue about the broader Mm -hmm. purpose, I think that's a good thing. And I think that motivates our employees to say, yeah, we're not just a manufacturer. I'm not just making a widget every single Mm -hmm. day. I understand how that actually impacts the broader community.
1: So as you say the more cost-effective, I think of programs in our area where elderly get subsidized power. Right. Elderly people on fixed incomes. Right. Yeah, exactly. But that cost-effectiveness right. would create the margin to, to fund those programs. Hopefully,
2: right, and it, and it should. Other. Yeah, exactly, so again, if, if they're able to run more efficiently and more effectively, which reduces their mm-hmm. cost structure, mm-hmm. that opens up other opportunities. Now, I can't control what they do, right. but if I can help in that mm-hmm. space, or on the flip side of that, if they can see us as a vendor who thinks about things in that regard, maybe it creates a dialogue within them to move down a different direction, which is, you know, an altruistic hope. But
1: But but that's how we get the dialogue going. As you're role modeling this idea of alignment for public good, then other people are going to see how their actions align within their context. So what I do may be different than what you do. I do these radio shows. It's an opportunity to give back to our community And share wisdom because it's aligned with my values. Right,
2: and, you know, and 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 that motivates people. I mean, you know, it, that helps when they're sitting there on an assembly line, when they're sitting there entering orders every <laughs> single day in an office setting. Mm-hmm. It does help with them to say, why am I coming to work every day, other than just for my paycheck? <laughs> well, we all do want to get paid, sure.
1: So, how do you help people understand that linkage? We talk about it. We, we, talk so about it in town,
2: we talk about it in town hall meetings. So okay. I do a quarterly town hall meeting uh, at Magnetrol, and I do it globally. So I'll either videotape it, or I actually do a lot of traveling. So I'll go out to all of our sites, and we talk about that as part of corporate communication. The other thing that I do is that we do what I call skip-level meetings. Yeah. So I'll skip management and go down uh-huh. to the employed level, bring people in from different parts of the organization. Can I do this globally? And we have conversations about things like purpose uh-huh. and what are we doing. And then the final thing, and people don't underestimate the value of symbolism. They see how we do things, they see what we're doing. It becomes more of an expectation, I think. Okay. Um, the other thing is when, when you look at the employee base that we're starting to recruit, uh, millennials, for mm-hmm. example, I believe that millennials are the biggest opportunity for change in business. Okay, so say more about that because
1: so many people are perplexed by millennials and they don't know what to do with them. Um,
2: Millennials have come into the marketplace with a different expectation of business and a different requirement of business to be more engaged with society. I think you're seeing that time and again. And we're hearing that now from millennials as we, as we brought them into the organization. Mm-hmm. The beauty of Magnetrol is we have the generational spectrum that work for us. I've got employ- I have one employee in our, our factory, he's a welder, been with the company 40 years, just celebrated his 40th anniversary um, last weekend. His father worked at the company, his um, wife works at the company, his kids work at the company, and his grandkid now works at the company. So you
1: don't
2: have anti-nepotism <laughs> Right, rules. no, no, not at all. <laughs> because we think sometimes those are the best references yeah, yeah. that we can get. and so. That's just an example of the generational differences that we have to deal with within the organization. And
1: that's going to be the case <laughs> exactly. as we live longer right. and live healthier, hopefully. Right. I did an interview the other day with someone talking about the longevity economy. Yeah. Francis Hasselbein, we're at a leadership <laughs> conference, 101 years old, still running the Hasselbein yeah. Drucker Foundation. Yeah. So not everyone will be working till 100. Right. But. What's your HR going to look like when you're talking to people who range from the normal 18-year-old or 16-year-old, if they're doing after-school jobs, to someone who's 95? Well, you
2: should see how that conversation actually looks at life, because we have that conversation going on now. Mm -hmm. I'll have somebody who's 25 years old talking with somebody who's in their 60s, -hmm. and in some cases, our company in in their 70s, and they're having this dialogue... And I've seen the metamorphosis on both sides where, you know, the older generation, the more tenured generation uh-huh. is coming in line and saying, you know what, that makes sense. We uh-huh. need to. Go. And so I've seen these change agents um, in some of our, our most seasoned employees. But, but as we've come, the millennials, a lot of them have told me the reason we came to MagnaTrol was not for the pay. Not for the functional area that we're getting mm-hmm. into. We came because of this commitment to business as a social institution, ah, and so okay. because I think they require that now. I think they're yeah. looking for companies that understand the value of being socially engaged in a authentic way.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Again, not greenwashing.
0: Exactly.
2: They, they don't view it as just an expense. Just to say, look, look at us on our website here, we're doing. Mm-hmm. They want to see actual meet behind the words so we're seeing more of that coming in at all levels of the organization not just in our in our office setting in our professional band but in across the, the organization and globally we're starting to see that too so
1: what are you seeing globally well again in,
2: if you think about Europe we're seeing more employees asking us to do things like that to to question us at the sea level what are we doing around these issues and how, how are they impacting us you know, I, I rolled "Giving Voice to Values" out in uh, in China, and so this was one. Of, this is a great story. So, "Giving Voice to Values" is a framework of how do we talk about ethical issues. I view it as also a framework for talking about change, because as you know, whenever you're in a change initiative, there's resistance and there's yeah. there can be issues, and so how do we how do we address those? And so went to China. Now our factory workers, and again, we did this for every employee in the global organization. So I have around 800 employees worldwide. We did this for everybody. So I'm in China, our factory workers, and some of our office workers don't speak English. So I had to translate the whole thing into Mandarin. The first question I got asked as we started this process, and I had a facilitator who spoke Mandarin and had understood the Giving Voice to Values framework. First question I got asked by one of our factory workers was, is this just another piece of Western propaganda that you're bringing to us to drive down our throats? I said, Interesting
1: that that, first that person question. felt comfortable. Well, that's Maureen. The that's transparency.
2: exactly. First of all, that, I was thrilled by that because I clearly have a GM that has already kind of mm-hmm. started to instill mm-hmm. that. But that was the first question I got. Now that could have derailed the whole process.
1: Well, especially if you got angry.
2: Yeah, and and so <laughs> through something right, and so there. I'm being somebody's translating this for <laughs> me, right? And I was like, this is great. I, mm-hmm. I, and so the facilitator, which was fantastic, did a great job of handling. Mm-hmm. Now he was not a Magnetrol employee. So his answer was, well, if you look at what President Xi is doing around ethics in China, and he's undertaking a lot of trying to weed out corruption and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So this is consistent with our own president's commitment oh, to ethics. So it brought it right back into the into the culture. The other thing he says is, look, we need to be honest with ourselves. We work for a Western company. We need to understand, not we need to, to, to just do it, we need to understand Western values as well. And if we look into this, maybe our values aren't that different to begin with,
1: how brilliant that you yes. say as a global community, and <laughs> right. yeah. yes, we have nuances, right? Exactly, not to d- diminish that.
2: But there's some but global there's values and virtues that are tra- that are that are transcendent across cultures. And so, mm-hmm. once we got that out on the table, it was amazing the dialogue that took place around giving voice to values, and in particular China. And if you think about that culture, in a lot of cases, um, it's a very Hierarchical top-down approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you kind of, in some cases, you can stymie that kind of discussion. We didn't see that here. We actually saw folks really willing to, to voice their values. And I was just in China two weeks ago because I've been going out to see how things have been going. And I got to see that in practice, that there is the sense that I can speak up and I can talk about how to make us more effective, how to make us more um, productive, on the factory floor as well and a GM that's very receptive to that and a management team that's very receptive to that
1: and again though I assume you had something to do with that selection and and yeah absolutely
2: and and we have a a GM who's been in place for for quite some time with Magnetrol and and understands what we're trying to accomplish and actually lives those values Mm -hmm. as well and so that helps obviously so it's been great to see that thing so you can see where purpose again can drive Motivation and commitment, and if you can get motivation and commitment by your employees, it's going to drive profitability. I think that's the biggest key to long-term, sustainable, flourishing growth is motivation and commitment by your employees.
1: I love that we started with strategy (laughs) and planning and values, and you synthesized how we set the course for the company, then how we connect with the social fabric right. and all of this goes to the culture right. and then wrapped up with values and purpose yeah. and how that allows us to retract and retain people but also create the sustainability connecting back to the yeah. strategic plan.
2: Exactly.
1: That that it really is a a complex puzzle and each piece needs to be aligned. Yeah. Back to using some of your words. And how brilliantly you are illustrating the case study, which for many people is a different way of leading and running an organization.
2: Well, if you think about strategy, it's the people that drive strategy, right? So you're either going to succeed strategically based on the, the individuals you have, or you're going to fail strategically based on the people you have.
1: Or so, based on your leaders. But
2: I think that's just it. That's where leadership mm-hmm. comes into play. And that's why leadership is hard, because leadership is the fabric that drives that alignment. Without leadership, you have chaos. Yes,
0: and, you and, right. so,
2: and so what leadership does is if you can create that culture, if you can drive that alignment between culture, employees, and the firm strategy and goals, you're going to be successful, not only in the short term, but in the long term. And that's where I think the focus needs to be, is how do you create long-term sustainable profitability and flourishing.
1: John, thank you so much for being a role model for these principles we talk about, because it's one thing to talk about them. It's quite another to actually live them and Live the challenges that if we do a second interview we can talk about like. yeah
2: yeah well, theres and then trust me, like I said, it's hard work and you have to be engaged as a leader to drive it. So thank you, Maureen.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for joining us live in Brussels at the International Leadership Association Conference. In these turbulent times, investing time and energy to refresh and evolve your leadership skills becomes a critical success driver. I challenge each of us to consider the impact effective leadership makes on our lives and on the lives of the organizations we lead and the people that those organizations impact. Imagine what each of us can do As we work together to solve these big problems that impact us, together we can create a world that is more peaceful, more just, and creates more opportunities for everyone to thrive.